Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks snapping their losing streak with tech leading the charge and the Nasdaq poised to notch its, get this, best first half of the year in 40 years. Futures, though, searching for some direction this morning. Shares of chip makers very much taking a hit ahead of the opening bell on new reports the Biden administration is pegging fresh action on that sector. We'll have details in just a moment. Investors keeping a close eye on that summit, that massive central bank summit between leaders in Portugal, also digging for tea leaves on policy. We're live on the ground with key insights from the ECB's forum, plus a potential big win for Boeing as a key supplier reaches a new labor deal to end an ongoing worker strike. And it's a battle of the fasts as we dig into the winners and laggards of the restaurant industry amid a bevy of fast casual IPOs. You can see there a lot of fasts going on. It's Wednesday, June 28, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Frank Holland this morning. Let's kick things off with a check on U.S. equity futures after yesterday's very strong session with the Dow snapping its six-day losing streak. Futures, though, right now trying to figure out what's happening. You can see the Dow Industrials poised for just a 5% gain at the opening bell. The S&P down by about nine points and the Nasdaq down by 67. Remember, though, big day yesterday for the S&P and the Nasdaq. Turning to the bond market. Yields right now in focus because the 10-year is ticking lower. You can see here the benchmark Treasury note yield for the 10-year side of things, just about 3.75%. The two-year note yield, 4.73%. So that inversion is still in place. Meanwhile, the 30-year long bond, 3.826%. Getting a check now on energy. West Texas Intermediate, U.S. benchmark prices continuing to hold below the $70 per barrel mark. Right now, those prices are $67.40, off about one-half of 1%. Ice Brent crude, the world benchmark gauge, off about one half of one percent as well, $71.94. And then we have to check on crypto with Bitcoin holding above that key 30,000 level. Right now, though, prices are lower by one and a half percent, 30,258 spot 96 per token. Ether prices, $1,856.25, just down by about two percent. Let's get a check now on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Sylvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Sylvana. 
Hey, Dom, good morning. The Biden administration is apparently considering new curbs on exports of chips for artificial intelligence to China. According to reports, the Commerce Department could unveil the updated controls as early as next month. The move would be part of a final rules expanding measures first announced in October. Now, that cut off the most advanced AI chips by NVIDIA and advanced micro devices. Shares of those two companies, as well as other chip makers, are falling ahead of the open. Spera Aerosystems and leaders of its largest union reaching an agreement on a new contract in a push to end an ongoing strike. Workers are set to vote on the four-year deal, which improves on a previous offer on health insurance and wages tomorrow. Now, if union members approve the agreement, it would wrap up a dispute that's threatened output for customers, including Boeing. And shares of Regeneron looking to bounce back after shedding 9% in yesterday's session after the FDA declined to approve a higher dose version of its key eye disease treatment. The company says the rejection was solely due to an ongoing review of inspection findings at a third-party filler, suggesting it could still win approval down the road, Dom. All right, those Regeneron shares, Silvana, up about one-tenth of one percent. Thank you very much. You got it, Dom. We'll see you later on. See you later. All right. Now, back to the markets, putting a stop to their skid and preparing to close out a very solid performance for the month of June. The Dow now. Up over 3%, its best monthly performance since November, while the NASDAQ is on pace for its fourth positive month in a row. An even better picture, tech, as we gear up to close out the first half of the year with the NASDAQ up nearly 30%, that would make it its best first half of the year since 1983. So for more, let's bring in Robert Shine, Chief Investment Officer at Blanky Shine Wealth Management. Uh, this is pretty impressive right now, Robert, but maybe not all that surprising given the fact that the Nasdaq took an absolute beating last year. Is this a rally, though, in the first half that can take us back towards those record highs in the second half? Well, as you see, uh, markets are known to climb walls of uh, wall of worry. And that's all we've had year to date from debt crisis to geopolitical concerns. And no one would have thought. Um, at the beginning of the year that we would have seen a rally like this. And that's exactly why you have to have exposure to equities, why you have to be balanced and diversified. And at the end of, end of the day, uh, be cautiously optimistic. Yeah, markets move when everyone doesn't expect them to go the, the direction they're going right now. So we've seen a, a substantial rally. Okay, so w- with that rally, the substantial rally that you point out, is there anything that needs to happen for the rally to continue? Or is this something where the markets have kind of set it for the year and are ready to forget it for the second half of the year because things are just going to keep on going higher? Well, it really comes down to three things, inflation, the Fed, and then corporate earnings. We're going to get that right after this uh, quarter end. And that's where the markets will be focused, especially today's ECB, uh, you know, global uh, Fed funds and and, uh, a forum that you're having. You're going to have the hawkish tone out of the global central bank leaders, and that's going to be market moving. But long term, you have to look through that, look, sift through the headlines and look at the corporate balance sheets, how they're absorbing the higher inflationary costs and the input costs. And again, how the consumer is really dealing with that higher credit, uh, basically cost of credit uh, across the spectrum right now. So it's going to take some time to work our way through this. Uh, In the meantime, there's some value and opportunity in the markets as we're seeing it. Where exactly? And by the way, we will have much more on that big ECB forum coming up. Our own Sarah Eisen is moderating that massive panel among the world's top central bankers, Robert. Uh, You mentioned some of the value that's out there. Where exactly would you find it right now? 
It's certainly arguably not in some of the stocks that have been runaway winners, like, say, NVIDIA or AMD or other tech names. What exactly do you focus on after a market that's run 30 some percent for the Nasdaq? Yeah, Dominic, what we've been doing is we've been trimming our large cap tech positions that have done quite well for our clients. And now we're rebalancing as one should. And where we're finding value are companies like Defense, a defensive hedge, if you will, with the geopolitical tensions would be Raytheon. Raytheon as a consistent uh, global leader. And we're seeing a lot of value there. Uh, and we also see T. Rowe Price. Again, in March, they got thrown out with uh, or caught up with all of the banking crisis, but they're not a bank. In fact, they, they've raised their dividend 38 consecutive years, a 4.4% dividend yield, and their discount relative to value on that particular name. Uh, and there's also, you know, we also like special names like uh, Novo Vartis because they have a global leader position with regards to diabetes and obesity drug, a global leader. Uh, it's a $100 billion uh, total addressable market. It's a discount right now to its future valuations again. And so that's a great opportunity, even if there's a recession on the horizon for, uh, let's say, the foreseeable future. So you want to basically rebalance your portfolio, take some uh, trim off your, uh, you know, high exposure to global growth uh, and, and large cap growth and uh, rebalance into undervalued opportunities that we're presenting. All right. That Novo Nordisk trade really key for a lot of folks out there playing that big secular trend in weight loss. Robert Shine, thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Thank you. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. Checking on the health of the banks, by the way, following this year's sector shock, we preview what you need to watch in today's stress test results. Plus, shares of IHS popping in the pre-market as it becomes the latest target of an activist investor battle. And then later on, Manchester United fans letting their frustrations with the ownership be known ahead of today's big shareholder meeting amid the fight for the future of that football club. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EatonVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back. That's a live shot of the City of London. Right now, a key focus in Europe here for a lot of central bankers. Moving down just to the southwest in Portugal, the world's biggest central bankers are meeting not far from there, I guess, in London. A few hours, a couple hours flight. Let's stay in London now and get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade in Europe. Our Jumana Bersetchi is standing by in the London newsroom there with the latest there. Good morning, Jumana. 
Good morning, Don. Well, lovely to see a shot of St. Paul's Cathedral on your show this morning. But it's also a very positive morning for European markets. It seems the theme of good news in the U.S. is also good news for Europe because every single one of these indices is trading in the positive. We've got the FTSE 100, a lot of action around here with uh, the Bank of England, a lot of pressure on them. Uh, we're key to hear what uh, the governor is going to say at the panel later today. But uh, clearly the pressure is on them with the inflation profile in this country. So the index today is up about half a percent. Zetrodax and Cacahont, respectively, up about seven-tenths of a percent. Again, a lot of focus on the commentary that's been coming out of Sintra, namely the hawkishness out of various ECB officials. But uh, generally speaking, a more positive day and a strong performance out of cyclicals. Over in Asia, however, the action has been somewhat muted. You can see the Hang Seng is only up about a tenth of a percent. The Shanghai basically around the flat line. A couple of uh, data uh, to watch out for there. The industrial profits for the first five months of the year for major Chinese companies have indicated a big decline of up to 18 percent. So that was dragging on the index, as well as this Wall Street Journal article uh, from overnight indicating that the Biden administration is considering export restrictions for some key AI technologies that has impacted sentiment in Asia as well. Dom. All right, Jumana Bersetchi with the latest check on the Asian and European markets. Thank you very much. The Federal Reserve is set to release the latest look at the health of the U.S.'s biggest banks. Those stress test results coming after actual stresses on the sector earlier this year with the collapse of several much smaller firms. Our own Leslie Picker has more on the key metrics to watch in those big bank stress tests. The Fed is set to disclose the results of its stress tests later this afternoon. These show how banks perform amid a hypothetical recessionary scenario, which changes every year. This year's severe adverse scenario is a net-net tougher test than usual. It encompasses an unemployment rate that climbs to a peak of 10 percent in the third quarter of 2024. Real GDP declines 8 and 3 fourths percent between Q4 2022 and Q1 2024, a drop in inflation is measured by the quarterly change in CPI to 1.25% by 3Q 2023 and a yield curve that becomes positive and steepens over the course of the scenario. Banks' capital must exceed a certain threshold during the test. Based on those levels, each firm will be able to return a certain amount to shareholders in the form of buybacks and dividends. Those figures won't be announced until Friday afternoon, but analysts expect the firms to be more conservative because there are additional regulatory requirements coming down the pike, beginning with Basel III revisions expected later this summer. All in, the macro backdrop coupled with regulatory uncertainty could lead to less buybacks despite lower stock prices that would otherwise make these purchases more accretive. Back to you. All right. Big check on the big banks. Leslie Picker, thank you very much. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, President Biden is set to hit the road to tout his economic vision heading into election season. His optimistic outlook for the potential for the recession risks. Bidenomics, so to speak. We are back in a moment. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's a big day for Manchester United investors and fans. The team's annual shareholder meeting is set to take place this afternoon. Now it comes as Man U's ownership weighs possible takeover offers for the club. Our own Arabile Goumede has been following the twists and turns of this saga and joins us from London with the latest. Arabile, this is playing out more dramatically than an episode of Ted Lasso at this point. It certainly isn't a drama. I mean, one thing's for sure is that there hasn't been a lack of drama in this. It's been seven months now from November was when it was touted to happen, this takeover, but certainly not happening as yet. Yesterday, we then saw fans uh, who have called themselves the 1958 fans linking out to uh, the Bayern Munich sort of uh, era as well for Manchester United, who have actually said that they want the Glazers out. Well, of course, a commemorative T-shirt was indeed uh, created for this very notion, and they then uh, went and petitioned outside of the Old Trafford Stadium in Manchester, saying then that they would like the Glazer family out of the club, but we are no closer to finding out uh, who the new uh, owners of Manchester United would, would be. We have, of course, Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Thani, who is one of the leaders in the race, plus Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who also owns Ineos. Uh, as well in that race. But, of course, the financials did come out as well yesterday. A £4.7 billion pound, million pound loss is what we saw for the third quarter for Manchester United. Commercial revenue did, however, go on to the up. The big question, however, was broadcast revenue, which did decline for the quarter. Arabile, this is interesting. It's a modest loss for the, for the size and scope of a team like Manchester United. Are those losses going to impact the possible takeover bids? I can't imagine that they would, because here in America and elsewhere around the world, it is very rare that the possibility of acquiring a major sports franchise comes up. So what exactly are these bidders going to be looking at in terms of making their final proposals when it comes to possible takeover bids? Some would say, and I've heard from many, calling it a vanity case, right? When you buy a sports team, it's really not necessarily for the profits. And this might even be the case, uh, really, when it comes to the purchase of Manchester United. So it's unlikely that those losses would impact the sale of the club at all. In fact, one might look at this year as perhaps a record revenue year that may be on the off, in the offing for Manchester United. They are said to have greater broadcast income because they're now going to participate as well in Europe's elite sporting competition, that being the Champions League as well. Plus, it seems that with years of being unable to sell off a lot of their high-end players at a reasonable or good price, that they're looking to try and do so. Of course, a lot of that has been held back by the fact that they haven't been able to sell uh, or rather get this takeover across the line thus far. So a lot of work still needs to be done. But one thing is for sure that the on-field antics are probably more important and more significant. And with the manager, the coach, unable then to get the signings into the club that he'd like, those on-field antics are uh, unlikely to go ahead as smoothly as he'd like. All right. Manchester United story. Maybe not playing out like AFC Richmond. But thank you very much, Arabile Goumade, for that. We'll see you soon. <laughs> All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Wednesday morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good morning. After the leader of a failed rebellion in Russia was exiled to Belarus, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said he is sending, quote, a clear message to Moscow and to Minsk by increasing NATO's military presence on its eastern border. Stoltenberg told reporters that it was likely that some Wagner forces would also relocate to Belarus to join
join leader Yegeni Prisgoni uh, and, and called it a possible threat to neighboring countries. The U.S. has now imposed sanctions on one person and four companies linked to the Wagner Group. That's according to the Treasury Secretary. Americans have been hit by thousands of flight cancellations now, brought on by the latest round of severe weather. Summer storms in the Northeast have led to ground stops, endless lines, and boiling frustration. More than 600 flights have already been canceled nationwide for today. And as wildfires continue to rage in Canada, the smoke is again making it harder to breathe in the U.S. The Midwest was covered in a toxic haze Tuesday. Chicago and Detroit had the worst air quality in the world. Today, that dangerous air is expected to drift east, engulfing cities like New York and Philadelphia. Once again, I hope, Dom, you keep those masks handy because we might need them with this thing coming right back to us. It's crazy, Francis. During the last bout, I was actually out of town. I was down south in Georgia and Florida, and I came back and everyone said, you couldn't breathe. And I said, I, I'm crazy. I missed it. So I'm hoping that it's better this time around. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right. Francis Rivera, thank you very much for that. Still ahead on the show, your morning's global briefing and Tesla striking yet another agreement over its charging technology with one overseas automaker. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice, Worldwide Exchange, in audio format. We'll be right back. It is just about 5.26 a.m. Eastern Time here in the New York area, and there's still a lot ahead on Worldwide Exchange. So here's what's still on deck. Stocks bid to get the rally back on track, facing pressure yet again after the Dow snapped its six-day losing streak. Futures facing pressure ahead of the opening bell right now. Investors are keeping a close watch on Portugal, of all places, as central bank leaders gather for a very big meeting there, digging into their policy paths forward and the hurdles ahead. Our own Sarah Eisen is live at that summit. She's coming up in just a moment. And fast food versus fast casual. We take a bite out of the very different performances within that restaurant industry. It is Wednesday, June 28th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Schuen for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures. Right now, we are seeing at least some modest moves to the downside after a big up move yesterday. The Dow is implied just about higher by 11 points, but the S&P is lower by eight and the Nasdaq implied lower by 71 at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into that regular session. We'll also want to get a check on chipmaker stocks. Reports this morning that the Biden administration is considering new curbs on the exports of chips used for artificial intelligence to China. Taking a look at names like NVIDIA, you can see there down about four and a half percent pre-market advanced micro, three and a half percent downside. Micron, Qualcomm, Broadcom moving sympathy wise to the downside to the tune of just about one and a half percent. Turning to one part of the market, getting more attention from investors lately, and that's the IPO side of things. Gen Restaurant Group, this is the owner of Gen Korean Barbecue with locations primarily on the West Coast and in Texas. It's expected to start trading today with a small offering, expected to raise some $33 million. Now, the IPO follows the successful Kava IPO earlier this month, which soared as much as 117% in its debut, giving inspiration to other restaurant chains to follow its lead and helping to snap the IPO's market drought. Kava Group shares, by the way, just down by about one-third of 1% in the pre-market trade, $45.40 right now. Restaurant stocks have been also at the top of mind for Wall Street for another reason. They offer insight into consumer spending trends amid stubbornly high food inflation. 
It's also been a mixed picture for the industry with names like Shake Shack, Chipotle, Jack in the Box, all up between, call it 33 and 80 percent, as you can see here, so far this year. But it's a different story for Domino's Pizza, for Starbucks, for Wendy's, which are all negative so far year to date in 2023. Domino's has shed about 6 percent right now year to date. So let's talk more about where restaurant stocks can go with Jeffrey Bernstein. He's a senior restaurant analyst over at Barclays. Uh, Jeff, this is an interesting move here because we've kind of framed it as fast casual versus fast food. What is hot right now with consumers, given the fact that maybe some people have second thoughts about eating out, dining out because of inflationary concerns? Sure. Good morning. Yeah, so in the restaurant industry, it has been uh, there's been some varied performance, as you mentioned. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say, broadly speaking, that restaurants are still fairly defensive. So while they do fall within consumer discretionary, uh, they are on the very staple end. You definitely need to eat. You need to eat every day, and the consumer seems to prefer food away from home rather than food at home. Um, but performance does vary widely because the consumer has not really slowed down or has not really shown a demonstration of slowing down in the short term. So we're seeing our higher growth names, as you mentioned, names like Shake Shack and uh, Chipotle and others rallying materially, getting rewarded for their high growth, where our more traditional quick service restaurants uh, have not yet gotten the uh, the love from investors. So, so is it just about, though, that kind of fast food side of things? I mean, I, I think Chipotle... I think Shake Shack, they're more upscale, but they're certainly not like going to sit down for a meal at, say, an Applebee's or a Chili's or or certainly not a Capitol Grill, that sort of thing. What exactly are the trends and do the stocks accurately reflect what you're seeing in terms of consumption trends? Sure. Uh, So what we do see in the restaurant industry is oftentimes the consumer will decide they still want to eat out. They don't necessarily have to spend as much as they might have formerly. So we often see a trade down across the group. So a casual dining consumer uh, might decide to trade down to a fast casual experience. A fast casual consumer might trade down to quick service. Um, And as long as the consumer still wants to eat out, it's historically quick service that proves the most resilient because they inherit a lot more from above than they necessarily lose from below. So that's where the fast casual players have really benefited, kind of being in the middle there, getting some trade down from casual dining. But again, because the consumer's holding up quite well, they haven't yet necessarily traded down to the same degree to quick service. And I think more importantly, investors have decided in the short term, if the consumer is still holding up pretty well, they'd rather go after some of the, uh, you know, the higher quality, maybe higher price, fast casual names that are higher growth, rather than the traditional, more value-oriented quick service names. All right. So, Jeff, if this is if this is the case that you're laying out right now, there are assumptions you're making about what the coming quarters and years look like with regard to those consumption patterns. And then because of that macro backdrop, you make some top picks. What are those top picks and what needs to stay in place in the economy for that to come to fruition? Yes. So thus far, again, through the first half of the year, we have been pleasantly surprised with the resilience from a consumer perspective and their desire to eat out. And in that scenario, the names you mentioned, more the fast casual names, names like Chipotle and Shake Shack. We also cover Wingstop. They're performing quite well. Um, So those fast casual names are holding up extremely well, up 40 to 80 percent year to date. Um, 
But in our view, we do expect the consumer will slow in coming months uh, as we look to the back half of the year. And in that scenario, we do expect investors will shift their preference to the more defensive, typically franchised, quick-service restaurants. Uh, they, again, the consumer will likely trade down, and investors will decide those are the more defensive plays based on both what they sell, which is value, and who sells it, which are franchisees. So in that scenario, a name like McDonald's, which is holding its own thus far this year from a stock performance perspective and putting up very strong fundamental performance, we view McDonald's as the most defensive within the quick-service world. Uh, not only are they heavily franchised and very value-oriented, but they're not as balance sheet levered as their peers. They own a fair amount of their own real estate, so it's very defensively positioned. So we think a name like McDonald's is well-positioned. Otherwise, we highlight restaurant brands, which is a portfolio company. They own Burger King and Tim Hortons and Popeyes, among others. For those looking for a broader portfolio, a little bit more growth, we think they're very well positioned, especially with Burger King starting to show signs of stabilization and maybe a turnaround. Uh, so those would be a couple of names we'd highlight. We also are recommending Wendy's, which uh, I know you mentioned earlier. Um, so I think, you know, the defensive nature of the quick service category, the franchise nature will lead investors to shift, especially if we see signs of consumer slowdown in the back half of the year, which is our expectation. All right. Jeffrey Bernstein, you've already got me thinking about dinner for breakfast right now. So if anybody has a cheeseburger out there at 7 a.m., I'll be heading your way. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is back. Silvana, hello. Dom, I am also very hungry right now. But all right, let's get you some headlines, Dom. All right, Biden, President Biden is reportedly saying he thinks the U.S. will avoid the potential recession that economists and banks have been predicting for nearly a year. According to Bloomberg, the president making that forecast at a fundraising event last night citing the strong labor market to end his efforts to tamp down inflation as key drivers of the resilient economy. Now, his comments come ahead of his address on his economic policy in Chicago later today. Activision CEO Bobby Kotick and Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella are both expected to testify today in the FTC's legal challenge against the company's nearly $69 billion merger. The testimony coming after the head of Sony Interactive Entertainment testified that the deal would be a blow to his company's console business and give PlayStation games a degraded experience. An activist investor, Blackwell's Capital, is reportedly ratcheting up the pressure on IHS holding, pushing for new independent directors to the cell tower operators board and asking the company to offer investors more transparency. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Blackwell's, which is among the 10 largest shareholders of IHS, says the board changes are necessary to reverse IHS's growing losses and its weak stock price, which has fallen more than 40 percent over the last two years, Dom. All right. The 5 percent gain pre-market. Silvana, yep. thank you very much. You got it, Dom. All right. Coming up on the show, the Supreme Court taking on whether Congress can tax wealth. Robert Frank lays out this major case and what it could mean for your money, your wallet. Worldwide Exchange returns after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The European Central Bank set to wrap up its annual monetary policy conference as global central bank leaders talk policy and strategy to continue to clamp down on that inflationary threat. Our Sarah Eisen is live, of course she is, at the summit in Sintra, Portugal, ahead of a very significant and special sit-down that she is set to lead. 
Sarah, it's pretty much every central banker worthy of note in <laughs> Portugal, and you're going to talk to all of them. What's been the initial read so far in Sintra? It is the big four, Dom, and good morning. Yes, today, Sintra is the focus for investors around the world because, as you know, investors have been hyper-focused on central bank policy lately. How much more tightening are we going to get after more than a year of tightening in places like the United States? How much is too much before damaging economic growth? How much is not enough to deal with inflation? These are the type of questions that we are going to talk about today in Sintra. I'll be leading a conversation with the head of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, with the head of the ECB, Christine Lagarde, the head of the Bank of England, coming off of that double interest rate increase, a surprise to the markets, and the Bank of Japan governor for his first comments ever publicly outside of Japan and the monetary policy meetings that they've had. So far, there's been an air of hawkishness. Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB and the host here today, setting the tone, uh, talking about inflation in the euro area. She says it's too high and is set to remain so for too long. But the nature of inflation challenge in the euro area is changing. She's referring there to the different pockets of the economy that are showing higher prices. For instance, services now instead of the goods prices, which have moderated as well. We cannot waver, Lagarde says, and we cannot declare victory yet. It's a message to investors and the markets that rates are going to go higher in the eurozone and they're going to stay higher for longer. Similar messages from the Fed lately with Powell on pause, but also saying that more rate hikes are to be expected. So these are all the hot topics that we're going to get into today, Dom. Oh, it's interesting, too, because we've got news, of course, this morning out, Sarah, and I know you've got your, your, your eyes on it as well. Uh, we're, we're awaiting broader euro area inflation data, but Italy itself has already come out with inflation data this morning that is now at the lowest level in roughly 14 months so it looks as though, like in the U.S., European rate increases are starting to maybe have some kind of a dampening effect on inflation. Just how much of a threat do they think central bankers around the world inflation still remains? Are they just vigilant about it or do they have to really, really be forceful about how they tackle it? They're not satisfied with the with the inflation moderating. They're encouraged by it. And we and we get this common refrain. Yes. So far, Eurozone inflation has moderated a bit, but overall it's around 6%. At the highs, it was almost 10%. So it's come down, but they've got an inflation target of 2%, and they have to communicate to the market that they still have work to do. Otherwise, financial conditions loosen, and the market starts looking ahead to pauses and cuts, and that works against them when it comes to the inflation fight. It's the tricky communication challenge that not just the ECB has, but the Federal Reserve has as well. We've seen inflation in our country, in the U.S., Dom, moderate significantly. It was, it was 9% last summer, and it's come down all the way to 4%, according to the latest CPI. should come down to 3% as well in a few weeks when we get the next read, but it's still above target, and they still need to stay on message. I think the more interesting point is that the market is fighting them a little bit. The market is now pricing in one more hike for the Fed in July, and then that's it, and is looking ahead to cuts next year. So it's, it's threading that, that needle of, of how they can communicate that there's still work to do and there's still some credibility there on the inflation fight without the market getting too excited about rate cuts. It's another reason, Dom, I'm so excited to hear from the Bank of Japan governor for the first time because that market's been on fire. It's at a 30-year high. It's up 30% so far year-to-date, and they're still easing. So it's always fun to have a conversation when central banks are going in different speeds and in some cases in very different directions.
Kaz Ueda, Andrew Bailey, Christine Lagarde, Jay Powell. Uh, it doesn't get much better for the central bank speak than that. Sarah Eisen will be watching intently. We'll see you later on today. And uh, good luck with the panel. All right, Sarah's going to have much more from the ECB Forum on Central Banking from Sintra, Portugal, moderating that panel, as I just mentioned, featuring Fed Chair Jerome Powell, ECB President Christine Lagarde, as well as the heads of the Banks of Japan and the Bank of England, all starting at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, a must-watch there. These are the people who set global macro policy. So let's get a check on more of the headlines dominating conversations around trading desks around the world. Jumana Bersetchi is standing by in London with your global briefing. Hi, Jumana. Hi, Dom. A couple of stories for you today. Google says it has been holding productive early discussions with EU regulators on AI. In an exclusive conversation with CNBC, Google's head of cloud computing, Thomas Kurian, said both sides want to find a path forward to build AI safely and responsibly. He added that the tech giant is working on technologies to make it easier to distinguish between human and AI-generated content. Elsewhere, Volvo has signed a deal with Tesla to expand its EV charging network in North America. Volvo drivers will be able to access Tesla's network of 12,000 superchargers in the U.S., Canada and Mexico from 2024. And as part of the deal, Volvo will also add the North American charging standard port to all new cars starting in 2025. All right, Jumana Bersetch with the latest headlines there. Thank you very much. Back here in the U.S., the Supreme Court is taking up the constitutionality of wealth taxes and whether or not Congress can have any say on that matter whatsoever. The court's justices could potentially put a stop to the major democratic policy before it's even enacted. Robert Frank is here with more on what's at stake, and it's really just about a lot of money, Robert. It is a lot of money, Dom. A huge amount at stake with this possible ruling, especially as it relates to taxes. Now, the case is called Moore versus the United States. Now, at issue is a provision of the Trump tax cuts that imposed a one-time tax on repatriating foreign profits. But the ruling could answer a much bigger question. That is, what counts as income when it comes to taxes? Specifically, can an unrealized gain, that's an increase in the value of an investment that's not sold, be taxable? If the court rules that the 16th Amendment only allows income that's realized to be taxes, that could kill the Democratic hopes for any kind of wealth tax or Biden's proposed billionaire minimum tax. That's that annual tax on unrealized gains. A ruling for the plaintiffs would also be a huge windfall for American multinationals. Those are the companies that paid the tax on their offshore profits in 2017, 2018, they would get hundreds of billions of dollars in refunds. Now, a clear ruling against the plaintiffs could change the way certain bonds, commodity futures, and other financial market products are currently taxed. Now, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Cato, several other conservative groups have all filed amicus briefs in support of the Moors. Their tax bill at the center of this case was only $14,700. So, Dom, it's about the money. But more, it's about the money. Of course. So in this case here, this is a huge, huge setter of, of policy and precedent going forward, especially if it comes from the, from the Supreme Court. What exactly then would financial markets, would asset classes, would taxes look like if it was ruled unconstitutional to tax unrealized gains? It kind of makes sense if you haven't made the money 
They call them paper profits for a reason, right? That's right. And, and so if they rule against the plaintiffs, there would be a couple changes in the way certain financial products are taxed. So zero coupon bonds, for instance, there's a sort of aspect of that that is taxing and unrealized gains. Same thing with what they call the exit tax. If you leave the country, renounce your citizenship, you pay a one-time tax on all your assets, even if they're not sold. So those things would change. But the bigger change here, and probably the reason that the Supreme Court took it up, is if they rule for the plaintiffs, that would basically prevent any kind of discussion going forward for a wealth tax, for Biden's tax, which is on unrealized capital gains. Senator Wyden in the Senate has also proposed a tax on unrealized gains. So it would basically shut down the entire debate over a wealth tax and any kind of tax on, as you put it, a paper profit as opposed to something cash that you've actually received. So this would be one of the biggest tax decisions that we've seen from the court in decades. It could also change some investor thinking or psychology, even if you're not a billionaire, I guess, in that case, Robert Frank. Thank you very much. We'll be Absolutely. watching intently and, of course, for your reports on the outcome of this particular Supreme Court ruling. Still ahead on the show, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus why our next guest is warning of caution ahead after the markets put a stop to their slide. And as we head out to break, June is Pride Month, and CNBC is celebrating all month long and sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. Here's Goldman Sachs partner, Michael Broadberry. Throughout my 20-year career at Goldman, some of my most rewarding experiences come from the fact that I'm an out professional, but also that I'm an ally to other out professionals in the LGBT and queer community at the firm, in particular colleagues who are parents or family members of either gender non-conforming or transgender children. This part of our community has grown. It's often invisible, but it has grown. And these colleagues need forums to help them connect, to help them share, and to help them to be seen and heard by others. And so as our communities needs change, we have a unique opportunity to be there for one another. So active allyship is there. Let's take the opportunity. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed before the opening bell. First, shares of NVIDIA, AMD, and other chipmakers are falling on reports the Biden administration is considering a ban on sales of AI chips to China. The ban would follow similar actions from last year. President Biden will be in Chicago today to deliver what the White House calls a major speech to sell his economic agenda. There's growing confidence among administration officials the president can gain more credit for his so-called Bidenomics policies. Spirit Aerosystem strikes a tentative deal for contract negotiations with its machinist union, potentially ending a strike at its plant in Kansas. Spirit is one of Boeing's biggest parts suppliers. Workers are set to vote on that contract tomorrow. A bankruptcy judge approves Overstock's roughly $21 million purchase of Bed Bath & Beyond's brand name, e-commerce platform and intellectual property. Bed Bath & Beyond will hold a separate auction for its Bye Bye Baby chain. That's the crown jewel, some say, tomorrow. Google reportedly plans to cut an unspecified number of jobs at the Waze division, according to an email seen by CNBC. The move is part of efforts to consolidate Google's mapping services. A judge has ruled Disney's board didn't act negligently when it criticized the so-called Don't Say Gay bill signed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The ruling means Disney will not have to turn over records, including board members' emails, being sought in a shareholder lawsuit. 
Well, gearing up for the training day ahead, more weekly mortgage applications are out at 7 a.m. Eastern time. On the earnings front, we get results from Micron and General Mills. After the closing bell, the Fed releases the results of its annual bank stress tests. Back to the markets and digging into some of the action. Take a look at, again, the moves that we've seen among some of the biggest stocks in the market. This S&P 500 market cap weighted versus the equal weighted S&P 500 ETFs. You can see there that kind of big gap just showing that it's some of the biggest market cap stocks that have been driving the action. As for those big market cap stocks, perhaps no surprise that that massive rally that we've seen in the S&P and even more so in the Nasdaq so far this year has been because of the three most important sectors out there, arguably. Technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary, three of the biggest sectors in the S&P 500. They have all outperformed the broader market. For more perspective on these markets, let's bring in Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth. Uh, Lizzie, we've been talking so much about the fact that it's the Magnificent Seven, some of the biggest stocks out there driving things. Things seem to be broadening out. More stocks are participating Is it enough for every investor out there to feel more comfortable about this market overall? Well, good morning, Dom. Yeah, I think that there's a, I think the top 15 companies in the S&P 500 are up more than 34% year to date, yet the median company is up just 1%. So we are seeing some additional market breadth over, particularly over the last several weeks, but We've been bullish all year long. Uh, We were bullish going into 2023. We thought tech would really lead us out of the bear market. Now I actually think it's the time, it is time to pivot and be a little bit cautious in the short term. We are long term bulls, but in the short term, I think that the market has moved up very quickly. Your S&P is up more than 14% year to date. NASDAQ 100 is up more than 36% year to date. So I think now is actually the time to rebalance, look at taking some profits, use options to mitigate some of the downside risk. And to the extent you have cash, average in, because I think we could see the market retest 4,200 before we move higher. Oh, so interesting. So you're becoming a little bit more defensive and conservative on this. You mentioned using the options. Is it that you're finding, I mean, the VIX is still around, what, 14, 15, something like that? I mean, volatility is cheap right now. Is that one of the main driving factors for why you think options represent a good way to hedge some of that downside risk insurance-wise? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at, um, there was a really interesting report that Goldman Sachs just put out yesterday that looks at the four stages of, of, of a normal market cycle. So there's despair, hope, growth, and optimism. We're certainly in the optimism phase, which is traditionally characterized by price growth as a result of PE expansion and at the same time, you have higher interest rates, which, sound, which sounds counterintuitive, but is actually a, a part of a normal market cycle. So in that, where you have high valuations, high interest rates, um, and slowing earnings growth, it's actually a recipe for moderate growth in equities, um, so, albeit positive moderate, moderate growth. So if you look at options, particularly market-linked investments that provide some downside protection by using up- options, but allow upside participation, Given how much the market has moved up here today, it allows you to remain invested in the market, take some of the downside risk off the table, but still participate in the upside for the long term. Lizzie, I've just got a few seconds left. Your word of the day. 
My word of the day is FOMO or fear of missing out. So we've all heard countless statistics about how much the market moves up after the conclusion of a bear market, but let's not forget how much the market has moved up here to date. So don't, don't chase the FOMO trade and, and be cautious. Wise words. Lizzie Evans, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank we'll you, see Don. you soon. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. Remember that big conference in Portugal. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.